We're continuing our series uh, this week in the Gospel of Luke. It's called Jesus in Plain Sight. You know, one thing you got to remember about Luke's Gospel is Jesus a lot of times was not recognized for who he really was, even by the people around him. They did not know that he was the Son of God incarnate, come to be the Savior of the world. They just saw him as a regular Jewish man and as, as a rabbi. And over time, through his miracles, through his teachings, through his sinless life, he revealed himself for who he really was and is. And we are going to uh, go through a gospel story today, which reveals a little bit more about Jesus' life. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 today, so if you have your Bibles at home, uh, whether your paper Bibles or your devices, you can take that out. You can follow us along in chapter 7 of Luke, verses 1 through 10. Today's message is called, A Faith That Impresses Jesus. A Faith That Impresses Jesus. Hey, I wanted to uh, tell you a, a quick story real quick, when, or just ask you guys a question. When was the last time that you know or saw something or looked at somebody that really caught you off guard, right? Jan and Dean, you guys maybe uh, remember that old song, The Little Old Lady from Pasadena. I thought it was a Beach Boy song, but it's actually by Jan and Dean. Anyway, in that song, it's talking about this little old lady from Pasadena. She has a nice little garden with her white gardenias. But unbeknownst to most people, in a rickety old garage, there is a brand new shiny stock uh, Dodge. And that Dodge was a super fast car, and she knew how to use the accelerator. And he said, I don't care how fast your car is, you don't want to race this lady. So something that just surprises you. I don't know if you've ever been driving and you look over and you see somebody like, like an elderly lady uh, that... <laughs> that just looks like a normal person, and there she is driving a brand new Corvette or a Lamborghini or something. You're going, what is going on? What are you doing driving that thing? Or a big old 4x4 four four truck, and there's this little person, you know, behind the wheel with the seat all the way up and barely reach the pedals. So it's kind of interesting uh, when you get caught off guard like that. Today we're going to look at a story of uh, something that catches us off guard, something that actually caught Jesus off guard. In fact, later on in the story, it says Jesus was amazed when he heard the comment from this man. So let's get right into it. Father, help us to understand your word today. Help us to uh, focus in and see what you have for us through this story of Jesus' encounter with the Jewish elders in Capernaum and the Roman officer, the centurion, and what we can learn about authentic faith and how active it is. Help us. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're starting out the story in verse 1. Of course, Jesus had just finished his uh, sermonizing on the plane, and so that's why it says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum was, was a center of operations when Jesus had his ministry there in Galilee. And I, just as you're thinking about that, when he'd finished saying all this, you remember we've gone over some stories um, about some of the famous, unusual, and very uh, uh, startling sayings that Jesus made, something that was so unknown to Judaism. He would say things like, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. It says you've, you've allowed to judge other people different from you, but Jesus says, do not judge, do not condemn others. 
uh, just because they're different from you. Love them. And, and then, of course, last week we talked about a good tree is one that bears good fruit. And so a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. If you want to see if your life is really the life of a Christ follower, you need to look at your actions. You need to look at what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your hands and your feet. What you do will authenticate the faith that you say you have. So Jesus had finished saying all this. He goes into Capernaum. And in that town, there was a centurion's servant. Of course, a centurion is a Roman officer in charge of a hundred soldiers, um, whom his mastered value highly. This servant was sick and about to die. And so the, sir, the centurion heard of Jesus, and he'd obviously heard about some of the miracles that Jesus had done, and he sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant, right? So... Jesus' sayings uh, in the Greek, that's, the, that's not the word logos, where we get the written word of God. It's actually the, the verbal sayings and teachings of Jesus. It's the rema, uh, the declarations, the uh, commitments, the prophecy, and the predictions that Jesus would say verbally that came to be written down later in the Gospels. So, uh, the centurion is sick, and they're going to ask Jesus to heal him. When they came to Jesus... They pleaded earnestly with him. This man, now here again, the Roman centurion knows about Jesus, knows about his healing power, and the centurion says, well, how can I get Jesus to help me? In so much of the rest of the world, you know, we Americans are, well, want to do something? You just go right to the person you need to get it done from, and you go right to them. But in most of the rest of the world, if you think that you don't have any influence with somebody who's in a position of authority or power, what you do is you try to find somebody that you know that can go kind of be a mediator, kind of go be a go-between between you and that person. And that's what this Roman officer did. He found the Jewish elders, and you're going to see why he knows them. Uh, he found the Jewish elders, and he says, hey, can you go and ask this favor of Jesus? So when the Jewish elders, on behalf of this Roman officer, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, right? Have you ever, you know, come to God in prayer and said, God, I have, I have really tried to live a good life. I have been good. I've tried to avoid evil. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying, Lord. Would you please, you know, see this? Or, or maybe you see somebody and uh, they've worked so hard at something. You say, well, we need to give this to them. They need a raise. They need a promotion. They need this or they need that. They need a reward for their labor because they deserve this, right? So on behalf of this Roman officer, the Jewish elders are saying, Jesus, you need to go and heal this man's servant because he deserves to have you do this. Why? Because he loves our nation. He loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. Now that's kind of a surprising statement if you know the first century reality between the Jews and the Romans. The land of Israel at that time was occupied by the Roman army, and it had been occupied by the Romans for about a hundred years. The Romans and the Jews did not get along with each other. And so for a Roman to see the God of Israel, to see the faith of the Jewish people, and to be attracted to the one true God who is the creator over all, that's what happened in this Roman officer's life. And he became what they call in, in the scripture, especially Luke refers to it in Luke and Acts, he became a God-fearing Gentile. 
right? So he was not Jewish, but he believed in the God of Israel. And so he helped out the Jewish people. He loves the nation, and he has built our synagogue. Apparently, this Roman had money. He was wealthy, and he donated money for the building of the synagogue in Capernaum. Lisa and I were just there in November, and we saw the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum, and it's pretty good size, right there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus hears this request. He goes with them, and it says... Uh, the Roman probably had heard about Jesus. He'd heard of, of Jesus and his miracles and his influence and his, uh, his amazing spiritual power. Uh, this is how Matthew summarizes Jesus' activity right there in the beginning of his ministry. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee. Galilee had about 250 towns and villages in that region. Very populated area, the breadbasket of Israel very fertile area for growing agriculture. And so Jesus went throughout the cities and towns of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, that kind of healing power drew people from all over the ancient world. All in the surrounding regions around Israel, people brought their sick to Jesus to ask him to heal it. So the Roman officer had obviously heard of Jesus. He knew Jesus' spiritual power. He wanted Jesus to come and help him, right? So Jesus went with them in verse 6, and he, he was not far from the house of the centurion. And, and this is kind of unusual. You know, the centurion says, well, Jewish elders, go to Jesus. See if he can go to our house and heal my servant. And then Jesus agrees with the elders. He's going to the man's house, and it says he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Notice the attitude of the Roman officer compared to the Jewish elders, right? The Jewish elders are saying, Jesus, you need to come heal this man's servant. This man loves our nation. He's built our synagogue. He deserves to have you come and heal his servant. And, and yet, what is the humble attitude of this Roman officer? He says, I do not deserve. Jesus, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I, did not, I do not consider myself even worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, right? One of the questions I think the Roman officer had him being a Gentile and Jesus being a Jewish leader and a Jewish rabbi is if you know from the scripture, Jews don't go into Gentiles' homes, right? Another Roman officer, 10 years later after this story, uh, came and found Peter and said, Peter, I just got a revelation from God. Would you please come to my house? And Peter had a hard time getting over the barrier of saying, wow, I'm a good Jewish person. I can't go into the house of a Gentile. I'll be defiled. And then God says, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Jesus was willing to go into this man's house, and yet the man recognized that he, uh, uh, he was a Gentile. Maybe Jesus wouldn't go into his house at all. I mean, Jesus, he was a Gentile. Jesus, the, the, between the Jews and the, the Romans and their, their relationship with one another, would a powerful rabbi like Jesus actually go and serve and help somebody who was outside the Jewish nation? Did he only love his fellow Jews or did he love people outside the Jewish nation? And so Jesus went with him. Um, one of the questions I, want, I have for you is this idea 
of the worthiness of this Roman officer, right? Because we've talked about this already, even this morning. The Jews come up to him, the Jewish elders and the leaders, and they say, Jesus, you've got to help this man because he's worthy. Look what he's done. That's what a lot of religion says to our world today. That's what a lot of religion is based on. Look, here's what you need to do in your life. You need to pray these prayers. You need to fast and go without food. You need to do righteous acts. You need to avoid evil acts, however they define them. And if you do these things consistently enough and long enough, then you will earn God's favor. That's the opposite of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is based on grace. Grace means that we get something from God that we did not earn and we do not deserve. The Bible's very clear. The Bible says in Romans, it's a tremendous letter from the Apostle Paul. I urge you to read the book of Romans. You'll understand the Christian faith top to bottom by just reading that one letter. The Bible's clear that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've all broken God's holy commands. And so the truth is, if you're saying, hey, Please, Lord, please answer my prayer. Please do me a favor because I'm worthy. That's not how we approach God. We approach God based upon His grace that was extended to each of us through Jesus. And through Jesus, we now have access to God the Father. That's why Jesus says, when you come to God the Father in prayer, come and ask these things in my name with the authority of Jesus that when we put our trust in Him, He gives us access to God the Father, and He promises to answer our prayers. But the truth is, none of us on our own merits are worthy of Jesus to come and heal us. We have the forgiveness and salvation because of God's grace and because of His compassion. It's not because we deserve it. Let's make that very clear. So here we are, actually the only one who is worthy. Remember the Jewish elders? Hey, heal this guy, Jesus, because he's worthy. In the Bible, do you know what it says? It says there's only one person in all the universe who is worthy, and that person is Jesus. Now, when I hear, when I see this verse up here, Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, I'm always reminded of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. In 2008, they came out with a recording. It's called Worthy is the Lamb. I, you write that down, just Worthy is the Lamb, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Look it up on YouTube. You will be astounded at the beauty of that song. Look what the, it says. In heaven, John was looking, and he's looking at the throne of God, and uh, there's a seal to open. And uh, John is looking around, and he said, is there anybody worthy to open the scroll? Is there anybody worthy to unlock the seal of the future of what God has in store for mankind? And John says, I wept because there was nobody worthy. And then one of the elders says, you know what? There is somebody who is worthy. He is the lamb. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then Jesus looks over and he, said, and he sees Jesus, the lamb who looks like he was slain. But, but now he's, he's died on the cross for our sins and he's resurrected. So he's both the lamb and the lion. And the people in heaven are saying over and over to Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, you are are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe every language every people and every nation and folks that means you and me wherever you are from whatever background you come from if you have put your trust in Jesus 
You are in the camp of God's redeemed. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ when He shed it on the cross for you. The only one who's worthy of our praise, our honor, our glory, and our worship is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So Jesus agrees to go to this man's house, and look what the Roman officer says to Jesus now. He says, hey, Jesus, you don't even have to come all the way to my house. I understand how spiritual authority works. I know how it works. <laughs> this is what astounds Jesus. He says, for I, I myself, Jesus, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this other one, come, and he comes. I, I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. Now, that's an interesting perspective, right? All Jesus has to do is say the word. Jesus, you don't have to show up. We don't have to have a whole worship service. We don't have to have 45 minutes of praise and worship and have everybody jumping up and down and clapping their hands in order for, to get the mood right in the room for you to come and do your healing. Jesus, you have the authority. I recognize that. You can come and heal anytime you want. So, Lord, all you have to do is say the word. Now, where did that soldier, where did that military officer get that understanding of what it means to have that kind of spiritual authority? Well, that soldier had been, an, had been in the army most of his adult life, right? And if the one thing that a soldier understands in the military, it is called the chain of command, right? The chain of command. Through the training, through basic training and boot camp, a soldier learns to lose his or her own independence, and they learn to obey orders without question. Now, I was mulling over this scripture, and I was thinking, like, who can give me a perspective about military and basic camp and training and orders and the chain of command to say, what would be the mentality of this Roman officer? So I asked two of our guys in our church. One of them's now in New Jersey, Bob Dumas. The other uh, man was in the Marines, and this is Rick Rivers. So they both were Vietnam veterans. Bob Dumas was in the Army, and Rick Rivers was in the Marines. And boy, if you get them together, they are, they're always talking to each other about their certain <laughs> branches of the military in a less than kind way. And uh, it's interesting. So the, the point is, here's what Bob says. I said, Bob, help me understand this chain of command. Bob says, the chain of command structure is sacrosanct in the military. He said, there is no greater sin in the military than going outside the chain of command for any reason. You guys may have heard that story of the naval captain uh, that was over in the Pacific. And when uh, some members of his crew started to test positive for the coronavirus, he wanted to dock the ship. And he went to his superior officers and they denied him for that time. And so he went outside the chain of command. That man got in major trouble with the military because he went outside the chain of command. Uh, Rick Rivers says this. He says, the Romans trained and trained and trained so that when the order was given, the troops did exactly what they were supposed to do at precisely the right time. If an officer said, jump, then you were supposed to ask, how high, sir? From Marine Boot Camp onward, we were all expected to do exactly as we were ordered, all the while looking out for our buddies. He said, Rick said, I never even thought of disobeying an order. That was not done. If the people started disobeying orders in the military, chaos would be the result. 
So this Roman centurion, he had the right understanding of Jesus' authority. He compares his own relationship with his superiors, what it means to hear an order and obey it, and he compared that to Jesus' own relationship to God the Father. Jesus' position meant that he had the spiritual authority to command others, including sickness and demons. He had authority over that too. And just as the soldier knew that he didn't need to be present to see that that order was carried out, so Jesus had the spiritual authority to say if he just gave the word and commanded it, that military officer knew that Jesus' order would be carried out. And that's why Jesus says, that's why he understood Jesus' authority. He said, that's why I don't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But then he says, but say the word. Say the word, Lord Jesus, and my servant will be healed. Isn't that an amazing understanding of Jesus? That's one thing that astounded Jesus about this man's faith, right? Jesus, he understood Jesus can and do whatever he says he will do. Jesus has that kind of power and authority. And then you know what? That's, that's good news for the Roman officer. It's good news for you and me today. Jesus has the authority to carry out Whatever he says he will do, whatever he's promised to you and me, Jesus has the authority to carry out. Remember, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is totally impressed, right? Look, what, look at Jesus' reaction here. That's why I titled today's message, A Faith That Impresses Jesus. When Jesus heard this from the Roman officer, he was amazed at him. And he turned to the crowd following him and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found the servant well. In other words, Jesus said the word and that servant was healed. Boom, instantly, immediately. Jesus is totally impressed with this officer's level of faith. Jesus, had, he knew he had authority over sickness he could heal a servant anytime he wanted, wanted to. He acted on that belief on who Jesus is, and he asked Jesus to do what he promised that he would do, right? He, Jesus, I don't need a big healing service. I don't need a big explanation of why the servant is sick in the first place. If you want to, Jesus, you'll do it, and I'll just wait here for your answer. And Jesus gave him such a gracious, powerful answer. The power of Jesus combined with the presence of this soldier's faith, that, those ingredients came together for a powerful healing on this man's servant. That kind of faith is the kind that impresses Jesus. Look what Jesus adds in Matthew's gospel. So you jump over to Matthew's account of the story, and, and Matthew says, Jesus says these words. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. I think that's one way Matthew describes to say, hey, people who aren't even in the nation of Israel, these people are not even born Jews. They're going to come from all over the world, from the east and from the west, and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He was applauding this Roman soldier for his faith, just like Peter, 10 years later, was applauding Cornelius, another Roman officer, for his faith. And, and brought salvation to that whole Gentile house, right? That's the kind of faith that impresses Jesus, right? The gospel writers love to show 
stories like this where people outside God's normal family, the Jews, were also expressing their faith, and when they did, Jesus applauded them and gave them what they were looking for. So what is so impressive about this man's faith, right? Here's, here's the thing. Authentic faith trusts God to do what he says he will do. Authentic faith trusts God to do what God says he will do. And I want to say this again, and, and you're probably going to hear this for the rest of the message until you say, I think I got it, Jim. Authentic faith is active faith. If your faith is real, you're going to act on it. If your faith is not real, you could say you believe something, but you're not going to do, with, you're not going to do anything about it, and you're not going to believe God is really going to respond to your request anyway. What's the difference? Real, authentic faith is active faith. He came to Jesus and asked for the healing, and that's what Jesus did for him, right? So here's the question for you and me today. Fast forward it now to the year 2020. Look at you where you are in your life right now. What promise has God made to you? Because if authentic faith is active faith, that means you need to act on something that God has promised to you. What are some of the things that God has promised to you, right? What has God told you he would do for you? Well, first he said, if you trust in his son Jesus, he will forgive your sins. He will adopt you into God's family. Wherever you came from, if you're an orphan, if you had a terrible family background, if you don't feel that you had an identity in a solid family growing up, God says it doesn't matter because in Christ you're a new creation and you've been adopted into God's family forever and you are now a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. That's a promise from Jesus. Jesus says not only that, because you're a member of God's family, he gives you direct access to God the Father in prayer. When you pray, you can be assured that God will hear your prayers and answer you. Jesus said that he would be with you always to the very end of the world. So no matter how isolated you are, and that's one of the problems we've had in this COVID season is that people are isolated and they're lonely and they feel, they feel alone from the rest of the world. Jesus says, you're never really alone for I will be with you always to the very end of the world. Jesus says he will answer your prayers. And here's another thing, you know, because a lot of people when they're Christians or they hear about the Christian faith, they say, yeah, I understand what you Christians are saying. You're saying you need to believe in Jesus. You need to ask him to forgive you. You, you say you're going to follow him. And so that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Well, that is all true, but that is not all Jesus called you to do. Because Jesus says, now that you're in God's forever family, I want you to enlist in my army. I want you to enlist in my mission because we've got a world to save. There is a lost world who doesn't know what Jesus did for them, and we need to go in, on mission with Jesus to reconcile this world to God. And so there's a promise that if you say, I, I'm going to be a follower of you, Jesus, Jesus says, well, here's a promise. I'm going to lead you into this world, and together we are going to reconcile this world to God. As you walk with Jesus, it's a guarantee he's going to do that. Now, here's another thing. Think about your life today. What word from Jesus is he calling you to act on today? Because you remember what I said to you. I told you to be sick of this. Authentic faith is active faith. Authentic faith is active.
active faith. Not a sit there and say, well, I hope God does something for me faith. I'm just going to wait here and receive it. No, you're going to get up and do something based upon what Jesus has promised to do for you and now what he's calling you to act upon today. You, if you need to act on this, if you need to act on the idea to have the grace that Jesus showed you and extend that grace to other people to forgive them who hurt you, that's what you need to act on today. If you haven't done that yet, Jesus says, forgive and it will be forgiven you, right? So forgive those who hurt you. Act on that today. Maybe you need to act on the ability to reconcile with people that you have a hard time having a good relationship with. The ability to do that, to be actively pursuing reconciliation with people. To act on the confidence, to hope, to, to, to say, in you is my hope, you know? We have hope. We do not lose heart. We look for a better future because we know the end of the story. Even if this world gets worse and worse and worse, we have a forever home in paradise, in heaven with Jesus. And he is going and has gone to prepare a place for us. You can read it in John's Gospel, chapter 14. So we hope for a better future, no matter what happens in this world, in the here and now. Maybe Jesus is calling you to have courage to go and pursue a job. Maybe during this COVID season or even before that, the, the bottom fell out of your employment. You haven't been able to work. You've lost your zeal, your enthusiasm to go get a job. Maybe you've gotten by on unemployment or something, like, or something for the time being. But now Jesus is saying, look, you need to have the courage to say, with God's help, I can do this and go and pursue a job. And you'll get that job. And you'll, you'll feel so much better about yourself, for one thing. The next thing maybe Jesus is asking you to do, to have the endurance to hang in there and not give up. I think if there's any one verse, you know, talk about Bible memorization, what Lil Ogden had. Uh, Galatians 6.9. It says, do not grow weary in well-doing. Has anybody gotten a little bit weary? We're trying to hang in there, Lord. We're trying to endure. But this is hard. We thought we had some restrictions lifted. We, we had a few weeks where it looked like it was opening up and bam, and we got shut down again. It's hard to endure. You have to keep hanging in there, keep holding up to have the endurance to hang in there and not give up. Do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap a harvest, Paul says, if we do not give up. Easier said than done, but that could be, that's the thing that makes your authentic faith active faith, when you act on God's promises. And then, like when Jesus calls us to be on mission with him, to, to actively have the faith and the boldness to go and share Jesus with somebody who needs him. To say, I'm going to say something positive about what God has done in my life, and what God can do in their life. Maybe invite him to one of our online services. Maybe you know somebody right now and you say, well, the, this service is, is halfway over or more. What can I do? No. There's another service that's going to start at 1040. There's another service that's going to start at 6 p.m. Maybe you can contact them and give them the links, sebchristian.com or Facebook, Sebastopol Christian Church, and say, you can check out a message of hope today that will help your spiritual life grow closer to God. Have the boldness to go and share Jesus with somebody who needs him. Your authentic faith will act upon Jesus' words it will trust in his, in his authority. How much authority does Jesus have? Well, let's see. What did Jesus say? All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. No matter what this world looks like, no matter how chaotic it gets, no matter how evil seems to be triumphing, it is temporary because Jesus one day is going to right all the wrongs in this world. He's going to wipe away every tear and he's going to bring justice to this world. Complete godly justice. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Be a light in your world. You know, here's a, here's a question. Will you be at the feast? You remember what Jesus said right there in, in, as a result of this story, seeing and being amazed at the faith being expressed by this Roman officer. And Jesus says these words. He says, many from the east and the west will be at that great feast of heaven. Many. That could be you. Because from the east or the west, if you go east far enough or west far enough from where Jesus was, that reaches you and me right here in California. And it says, here's the invitation. You can join the feast. You have an invitation to join the feast. Look what Paul says. Everyone. Does that, are, do you, are you included in the everyone? Does it mean everyone except you? Or does it mean everyone? And it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting term, calling on the name of the Lord. What does that even mean? Well, it means if you're calling on the name of the Lord, it means you are accepting the call to respond to God's invitation to follow Him. How do you accept that invitation to follow Jesus? It's as simple as A, B, C. The A is you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The B is you believe that Jesus gave his life on the cross in order to forgive you. And then C, your response to that invitation, that RSVP to God, is you commit your life to follow him. Now, if you're ready to do that, we're going st to stop right now and we're going to have a closing prayer. And if you're ready to say yes to following Jesus... If you're ready to enter into God's forever family and to be forgiven of all your sins and to know that God is going to be with you every single day of your life for the rest of your forever life with Him, then let's pray together. Lord Jesus, right now we come to you in faith. We want to have the same faith that this Roman officer had when he said, look, Jesus, I recognize you have spiritual authority. I recognize uh, that you are the resurrection and the life. And that if we believe in you and we put our trust in you, that we too would not perish, but we could have eternal life. And so, Lord Jesus, today I'm turning away from my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me. I thank you for giving your life for me on the cross. And Lord, I'm, I'm praying that you'll come into my heart. Lord, I receive you into my life today. I'm letting you become the leader of my life. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Starting today, I'm coming back to you. If, if this is a rededication for you, if this is a turning back to God, and, and maybe you drifted away from God for a while, but now you're coming back to him, say, Lord, I'm coming back to you today. And I'm giving you my whole heart today. And I'm asking you to lead my life in the way that you want it to be. Lord, make me the kind of person that you created me to be, full of your Holy Spirit, full of a transformed life from the inside out. Replace my hard heart, my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. 
God, give me love for other people where I didn't have any love. Help me to forgive others where I couldn't forgive them. Lord, help me to show the grace to, my, to the people around me, the same kind of grace that you've shown me. Lord, thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming into my life. And I love you forever. And I will follow you forever. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.